Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the Parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts this week, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on BatteryPower.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. We have a very, very special 2022 MLB Braves draft preview show, and I couldn't think of a better way to do this show than to bring in not just my usual co-host, who I'll introduce in a second, but we also are bringing back our kind of our resident draft guru, he digs into amateur baseball like no one else that I know. I'm thrilled to have him on the show again. Matt Powers, how are you? Good. I mean, we're getting close to the draft, so it's always one of the best times of the year right now. And a familiar voice that you heard just a couple uh, a couple days ago from this very podcast where Garrett and I had to do a bit of an emergency record. Uh, we weren't planning on recording earlier this week, but obviously the Braves made a trade. And you've already heard some of his initial thoughts on the draft result, but I can't I can't have a show without him. You can follow him over on Twitter at Braves M I L B Garrett Spain. What is going on, my brother? Uh, a lot. I, uh, Matt calls this a fun time of the year. I call it the most exhausting time of the year for us. We've uh, been doing a lot, and I mean it's been fun, right? Like we've enjoyed we enjoy doing the work. That's why we do it. But it's been a lot, and I'm excited to see all of that kind of come in for, come to fruition, and you know see some new players in the system and really get to dig in on some guys. Yeah. When Chris and I have to really start looking at the schedule and find actual spots that we, where we can post something, if we want to do something extra, it's generally a pretty good indication of how much work's getting done over on the site, over on battery power. And if you haven't looked at our draft coverage, I highly recommend doing so just go to batterypower.com and you'll see positional like previews for each position. It's not only going to give you guys what a general idea of what's going on at each position on day one, those early picks, which a lot of fans only care about. But you'll also get some names that we think would be good fits for the Braves on days two and three. Uh, and we went through every position. Uh, we're still rolling out. I think we have first base rolling out tomorrow. I think everything else has been rolled out beyond that. But we, every position will be up on the site. And we're also going to be having the draft targets. Uh, again, we're not going to do a ton of those because with the Braves picking at 20 in the first round, uh, followed by 35, it's kind of – for lack of a better term, it's almost impossible to really get too um, 
too invested on how who could be there and who the Braves should pick there. But we have a couple of the names that have been mocked to the Braves most frequently, uh, as well as uh, at least one name that we think is going to be in potentially in play as a really interesting option there. Uh, and all that stuff's going to be coming out over the next couple of days. And then leading up to the draft, we're going to have all the information about where how to watch the draft. We're going to have some, we're going to have trackers for you both in terms of who the Braves pick, uh, as well as Garrett's. Uh, I guess it's it's basically an annual feature for you, uh, getting to do the the signing tracker, which is a very popular post on our show, uh, not on our show, on our site every single year. Uh, it gets pinned to our site, and you'll see who who's, who has signed and for how much, and it has all the breakdowns of the bonus pools. We're gonna have mock draft write ups. We're gonna have you know write ups for each of the picks as they happen. Make sure you go to batterypower.com as the draft is going on. We are going as, as like we do every year. We really go in on the draft coverage each and every year and this is kind of our time to shine and as garrett alluded to it also makes us incredibly tired uh matt seems to be getting you know seems to you know feast on days where he doesn't have to get to sleep all that much and he gets to talk about guys from like the middle of wyoming that have only played three prof- three amateur games in their entire career and he still somehow knows about them but for the rest of us uh, it's certainly a bit of a learning curve but it's also a lot to cover so any and all help in terms of getting that content shared with your friends and family, make sure you do so, especially if they have any interest in the draft whatsoever. Uh, for this show, what I did was I kind of wrote down a few questions that I think are going to be salient for Braves fans leading up to the draft. Uh, again, we're recording this on Thursday evening, so any particular weirdness or reporting as to who the Braves are going to be interested on Friday or Saturday or Sunday is not going to be included in this podcast. You're going to be getting podcasts from us, though after each day of the draft. So if you're wanting to kind of get more up-to-date thoughts, it's kind of what we, you know, the trends and kind of what the the news and all that stuff, you're going to be getting that a little bit later this weekend. But for this particular podcast, you're going to be kind of getting what our general thoughts are uh, regarding draft strategy and things like that, which we do need to update a bit because, um, Matt, I'll guess I'll start with you here. Is, uh, you know, we kind of had a pretty good idea as what the draft strategy for the Braves was going to be with the 20th overall pick. It seemed like that they were going to kind of get a college arm that they liked, and it was probably going to be slightly under slot. And then they were going to kind of use savings and kind of spread their money around as much as they can to, you know, just get the most value out of the draft, which is what they've been pretty good at doing over the last few years. But trading for the 35th overall pick from the Royals is a pretty big departure in terms of what options they have available to them. They now can seemingly act on a prep guy who might fall to them, uh, that a team might be trying to float through them into the comp rounds or maybe even later on, just later in the first round. Um, it's, it's, it, it seems like they have a lot more options available to them. So kind of what do you think? in terms of changes to the draft strategy, kind of what options are on the table for the Braves as we kind of know that what their bonus pool is going into the draft? Well, I was saying to you before we started recording, I think at this point the strategy is so wide open because I don't think the Braves have decided who they want, and I don't think that the 19 picks ahead of them are really too firmly established overall. So, any combination of things could happen. Any combination of guys could actually be there that you can't really get a good idea of what's going to go on. So I think really anyone other than perhaps Kumar Rocker is a legitimate possibility at that point. I mean, anyone within reason, even some guys that you wouldn't rank in the top 20 overall in this draft, they might even go under slot at 20 and spend big at 35, or they could go big over slot at 20 and just go under at 35. So there's so many different options in play right now that it's, at this point, uh, less than a week out from the draft, and you still don't have an idea. That trade just opened up that many more possibilities to get that potentially premium player that you couldn't really afford to do without it unless you decided to basically punt the entire rest of the draft money-wise. 
Garrett, what about you, man? What do you kind of think in terms of draft strategy? What changes now that the Braves have that extra pick? Yeah, we've heard so much that, you know, the Braves are targeting college pitching up top, and that's what they've done for a couple of years. But they're not in that position now where they have been, where they have limited bonus pools and limited options. They can pretty much kind of do what they want, and we'll get more of a feel for what Dana Brown and his staff are looking for with guys this year than we have in past seasons. A college pitcher is certainly an option. You can see a guy like Gabriel Hughes go at 20 and go under slot and then spread the money around. But if you see a player at the top that drops, a guy like Dylan Lesko, a guy like Jet Williams, if they can drop them down to 20, they have the money to go get them. And I don't see much of a reason not to go get a player like that if it's available to you. You, you don't – sometimes you have to take those chances in the first round, and the Braves need higher-end talent at the lower levels of the system to fill it out, and this could be an opportunity with them to do that with the money they have. Yeah, Garrett and I talked a little bit about this on Monday, that the Braves, Braves draft position was pretty awkward this year in the sense that when at 20, it felt like that they kind of had to take what was probably at that point anyway. Uh, things have changed a little bit, I think, but they were basically going to take the top co- healthy college arm that was available to them just because that was probably the best at that at that spot. But at the same time, they're like, there's a lot of value in this draft in picks 20 through 50. There's just not much separation between those guys. And if you think that you have a shot at one of those guys, you know, taking the 35th overall pick that you like, I, I I understand just kind of doing the, the slot at 20 and slot at 35. Um, what I think has changed, though, is that I think that this gives them the flexibility to, and again, this has already been alluded to by Garrett and Matt, is like, for example, if like, again, a Jet Williams, a Cole Young is another example here, Dylan Lesko, I mean, again, we you can start crossing your fingers for guys like, you know, Brock Porter or, or Justin Crawford. I'm very skeptical that either of those two guys, and we're going to talk about Justin here in a minute because we had a question from a listener about him. Um, is that I don't think that he ends up getting to the Braves, but there's a possibility that it could happen, and the Braves could at the very least have that conversation. Uh, before they drafted, got that draft pick, it's just they weren't going to have the money to really kind of blow it on a guy like that. If it was a you know a consensus top 10 guy, maybe you could blow your entire draft on like Brock Porter falling to you, but I just don't think that that's going to happen. But if a guy, you know, again, one of those guys that's in the teens and you know, has a big bonus demand as a prep guy, and you're sitting there at 20 and you're thinking about the rest of your draft, you might not be able to realistically throw all the money that you want to at them. But now that they have the 10th, like they have the 10th best bonus pool in the draft. Now you could throw some, you could go over slot for a guy and it wouldn't be the end of the world because you could still, you still have plenty of bonus pool to do what you want to do the rest of the draft. And they've already been kind of, I'm certain. And from what we've heard, they've been doing their due diligence on the guys throughout the rest of the draft to give them some options, whether it be senior signs on the second half of day of day two, or, you know, just kind of the guys that they think that they can get some value signs on in terms of under slots, guys that they like in the early parts of day two. And then we give them some options for prep guys at the you know, end of day two for some slight over slots. I think they, they've done all that homework. And I think what they realized is that getting that extra bonus pool does a lot of things here for one, giving you some availability of prep guys that could drop and two. And I think this is probably the most important demographic in the draft in terms of how the draft is going to go down. 
are these Tommy John arms, particularly the college arms. Uh, obviously, Dylan Lesko, uh, I, I would love to have him in the fold. I, I'm openly questioning whether or not a, a team that's going to let him drop to the Braves or at very least not make him incredibly expensive, like one of the big bonus pool teams maybe wants to pick him in a comp round. But I think that if that happens, then they're going to throw a big bonus offer at him and they're going to float him down to him. But it's potentially an option. But the Tommy John arms that I'm more talking about are the college guys. We're talking about the Landon Sims. We're talking about the Peyton Pellets. We're talking about uh, Reggie Crawford. We're talking about guys like that. I think the Braves realize that where a lot of those guys are going to start coming off the board is in that comp round range and in the beginning parts of the second round. And that just that that's kind of lines up with what we're hearing from the mock drafts just from people from talking just that seems like, you know, a lot of teams are really hesitant to kind of blow a first round pick on a Tommy John arm, unless it's a really, really high ceiling one. But in round two, if you have some money, maybe you can, uh, you can, you can convince them to, you know, still sign. And, you know, at that point they might be getting a little nervous and they might be willing to cut more of a deal than what they're kind of talking a little bit tougher than they are right now. And I think that the Braves want to be at least in on those conversations. I don't think they necessarily like all of the Tommy John arms right now. Right. But I do think that they are at very least in on some of them. And that makes things particularly interesting. And I think that means that at the very least, the Braves being able to be players in a part of the draft where it does feel a little like the big bonus pools are going to dictate what's going to happen there. Um, that at the very least, the Braves can, and again, they, they're not going to be able to compete with, you know, the Baltimore's and the Diamondbacks in terms of in, in the Mets too. And the, the Mets are kind of a unique situation because of the two high picks they have. But I am very interested to see kind of how the Braves choose to leverage this new flexibility. And I think that that's the biggest part, the biggest takeaway and the biggest change that we can see. Uh, I did ask for questions on Twitter about what, you know, does anyone have any questions about what's going on with the draft? Uh, you know, any thoughts? And the one question I got uh, was that Keith Law has mocked Justin Crawford to the Braves at 20. Uh, this is the second time Keith's done this, at least the second time that I'm aware of um, on Monday. Have you heard on the Braves are in on him at all? Also, which of the Tommy John arms could make it to 35 and would you be most interested in the Braves drafting? Uh, we kind of went over the second part of that question just a second ago, but I will get the Matt and Garrett's thoughts. So I'll go to Garrett first. Uh, Garrett, uh, what do you think the odds are that Justin Crawford gets to the Braves at 20 and uh, who are the Tommy John arms that you're particularly excited about if they, if they kind of, that's the strategy they go with at 35. I'm not necessarily expecting that Crawford is going to be there at 20. I don't think it's particularly likely. It's definitely a possibility of honestly of the prep guys in that range that could drop to 20. He's not really one of the guys that would be one of my favorites. I'm not huge on Crawford, but if he dropped to 20, I mean, absolutely. It's a guy that you have to look at because that is a very talented player. I'm just not, I'm not convinced of how much impact his bat will have long-term in terms of his power, but he is definitely an interesting player. As for the second part of that question, I mean, you mentioned it with uh, Peyton Paulette and Landon Sims. I mean, those are for me, the two that I'm most interested in. Um, Paulette is a guy I might slightly prefer Paulette because I do see him more of a starter long-term, whereas I'm not sold on Sims as a starter long-term. But Sims is kind of an interesting case in that you get him back next year, you try him as a starter for for a few months, and then if you want to limit his innings late in the season, he's a guy with his arm talent that you can kind of move to the bullpen second half of the season, and he could potentially help the Braves Yeah, he's done it quick. Before. I mean, he could help the Braves out of the bullpen next year in a stretch run and they're going to be competing with the little playoffs and that could be a very valuable arm for them. That's kind of an interesting pick there. Um, I 
I'll go ahead and say that my favorite guy in that section is not a Tommy John arm, but he does have some injury questions, and that's Adam Mazur from Iowa. It's a guy that I really liked. I've talked Eric's ear off about him, but uh, that's a guy that I like there. But any of those three are guys that I would be interested in at 35 in terms of the pitching side of the class. Matt, what about you, man? Who's the who's the who are your thoughts on Justin Crawford and this this 35th pick? I know for a fact that the Braves have been on him since last year. I mean, he was teammates with Tyler Whitaker, third round pick of the Astros last year out of Bishop Gorman, and the Braves were in on Whitaker, didn't end up taking him, obviously. But playing with him, they got a lot of looks at Crawford, and I knew that interest continued on to this year, so they have been in on him, but I just don't see an easy path to where he's going to be available at 20 to even have the chance to get him if he's there. I do think they'd strongly consider it, and he'd have a very good possibility of being the pick. But I just don't really see much of a chance of him being there, at least as of the way things stand today. As for the Tommy John arms, I'm going to cross off Connor Prelip because it does not appear that he's even going to make it to 20, let alone 35. So my favorite two of the Tommy John arms beyond Prelip, and excluding Lesko, who also won't make it down to 35, unless it's at a ridiculous bonus amount, which I don't think we'd be able to afford there. We might be able to get him at 20 money-wise, but I don't think it would make too much sense at 35. Uh, That would be Reggie Crawford out of UConn and Landon Sims. And you guys already talked about Sims, who that stuff just plays. And even if he isn't a starter, he's going to be a potentially elite reliever for a while once he gets fully healthy. And I mean, it could be as soon as next year. And I do think there is a decent chance that he ends up starting, but he's one of those guys that because of his lack of a starting resume is going to have to go on and prove it in the minors, prove it in double A. So he could be a couple more years away if you keep him as a starter. But I mean, he could also end up being another Spencer Strider type of guy, not comparing their pitching ability, but comparing the similar path with the injury in the past and how they really kind of had a shorter workload as a starter in college and just really emerged early on in pro ball and got to the big leagues pretty quickly. So, I I mean, you could see something like that, even though they're not one and the same as a pitcher. Uh, Reggie Crawford, big left-hander from UConn, is a guy from near me in Pennsylvania that I've liked since out of high school, former, actually, not only just a former two-way player, he is actually fairly new to baseball full-time as he was an Olympic-level swimmer in high school and gave that up to focus on baseball. Coming out of high school, he looked good as an arm, but I think more teams were on him as a bat than towards the end of last summer beginning of last summer, I should say, he really started to look good, got up to 100 at the Cape, and his future's definitely on the mound at this point. I think there's just a lot of untapped upside with the two-way play and the fairly recent conversion to baseball, plus being a cold-weather guy. Great kid. I mean, I've met him before, talked to him, and he could be an underslot option at 35 to allow money to be spent elsewhere, and he's obviously a guy who, if healthy, would probably be in that 20 to 35 range in this draft with his stuff if he had an even decent year with the stuff that he has. So those would be my favorite, too. I mean, I don't hate Hunter Barco as well, either. 
Yeah, my only issue with Crawford is I think that the recent the, the kind of the transfer stuff to Tennessee, like you wonder if you know how how much under slot that he could potentially be and how expensive he's going to be if he's trying to leverage that commitment going forward in this draft in particular. Um, and or if he's just trying to rebuild his stock because he could end up being a guy who ends up like a pretty easy first round pick and a relatively high one if he has a good season at Tennessee. Um, I will say that uh, I'm a big Peyton Paulette fan. Uh, I think that the, the changeup is better than he's kind of given credit for in a lot of ways. Uh, fastball is good. I, I'm not in love with the delivery per se, but I think that he would only take some minor adjustments to kind of get him to a place where I'd feel better about it. But overall, I mean, like that's a, a fastball that's mid-90s, can touch upper 90s. Uh, the, the breaking ball is really good, and I think the changeup is going to play as well. Uh, he's a guy that I do like a lot, and I think that he's going to be, uh, one, available, and two, um, Kind of the the type of guy that the Braves, I think, amongst those Tommy John arms, would be the most interested in at 35. I think uh, Sims is in there too. That's that's real stuff. Uh, I tend to agree with Matt. I think that Prelip's not going to be there. I think his, you know, one that now that he's healthy and he's he's had a couple bullpens that he's thrown in front of scouts and stuff like that. And I think that you know the stuff was anywhere close to where it was. Then there's going to be a team that's going to be like, okay, we can get him started in our, you know, get him started this year in some form or fashion. Uh, in our organization, and then he can just hit the ground running next year. Whereas with some of these other arms, um, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to be a little bit harder to kind of convince a team to take them, uh, unless they were, you know, some sort of discount or, you know, they were kind of really certain on the analytics on them. And I, I again, I, if I'm leaning, it's leaning towards Paulette, but I, the, the, I'm not a big Hunter Barco fan in, in, in all honesty. And again, in Crawford's case, I'm just not. 100% certain kind of, you know, it's one of those things in Crawford's case where the rawness is both good and bad forms because, like, you wonder about the potential of what he is when he just he focuses solely on pitching, but at the same time, like, you don't really know what's going to happen because he doesn't have that track record or at least the same kind of track record in a against, like, higher-level college competition. So I, it, it's it's something that I think about with those things, but, you know, again, these are this is, this is where it gets kind of fascinating, right? It's like, you know, if a, they take a, a guy who maybe has more question marks, are they able to get them at a discount? And does that mean that tw- the 20th overall pick uh, becomes, you know, again, an overslot type pick? Or is it, you know, that they start doing more, again, going back to their tried and true strategy of going to day two and, you know, going overslot and guys that they like? There's a lot of ways that could go. And I think that that gives them the flexibility to do so. As for Justin Crawford, I just I don't see much world that they get that he gets to 20. Uh, he, he seems like a guy that the Mets might pop with one of those two picks that they have. Uh, there's just too he, he's been mocked too highly and being connected with too many teams in that top 16 or so that I just I, I openly question whether or not he would get there. There's certainly scenarios where it could happen, uh, especially if Tommy John guys start getting popped in the first round. And, you know, all of a sudden these guys start getting pushed down. Uh, Kate Horton's another guy that could throw a wrinkle on all those things. It's not a guy that we're necessarily planning on being in the top 20, but he pitched his way into like, you know, there's even this like conversations where like there's top 15 teams that are considering drafting him. It's, you know, it's a pretty wild sort of draft right now. And I can understand why the Braves probably wouldn't have any thoughts or plans locked in at the moment. They're kind of playing a little bit of wait and see as they should, but that's kind of where my general thought process is on those two questions that you had. Uh, the next question is, uh, the last couple of years, the Braves have shifted their draft strategy of taking high schoolers early, such as Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, and Drew Waters, and shifted to a strategy of taking college guys instead. 
with a barren farm system, which strategy do you think is the most beneficial to our farm system? Uh, Matt, I'm going to queue you up on this first, uh, but it's worth noting that you're talking about two entirely different scouting directors in Brian Bridges, who is very, very willing to take uh, prep talent, whereas uh, Dana Brown's much more into kind of looking at, you know, college guys who have a little bit more of a track record. So that's kind of where, you know, that shift has happened. But it's a fair question as to whether which, which, which strategy is best. So I'll, Matt, I'll let you take this one first. So this might surprise you if anyone has ever followed me. You know that I really love high school guys, but my answer is going to surprise you because, honestly, it doesn't matter. I'm more about chasing upside, and high schoolers uh, usually are what I prefer just because that's what the upside is. But it's not like college players can't also have a similar upside. I think what the Braves need in general is more upside. And while things have played out in recent years to favor that college side, I don't think that has necessarily been a plan that they have followed in these last couple of years. I think that stuff has blown up their boards in front of them and that they actually might have been taking high schoolers at some of those picked for the picked college guys in these last, what is it, uh, 1923 drafts. So I, I think especially the last two, for sure, the mm-hmm. weird things have happened the last two years. So I, I don't think that anyone that reads into Dana Brown is definitely going to pick a college guy because he picks college guys is something that they should be doing. I think that he is open to high school players, but things have just not really worked out for him in the last couple of drafts to take those high school players. And if things work just slightly differently each of the couple last couple of years, we could have been seeing entirely different drafts, which... I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. Just don't automatically assume he's going to be in on a college guy. But really what the Braves need more than anything is talent and upside. They need quantity as well because the system does dry out very fast, especially after we just lost Harris and Strider from that list because they got promoted and are losing their rookie category. But They just need to add as much talent as possible in the draft and obviously trading a guy who would be on that list of talent that you already have. You have to replace that with somebody that you like better because there's just no reason to trade a sure thing prospect, not a sure thing that he's going to make it, but a guy that is definitely a piece when you need to trade for assets at the deadline whether small or big, but you need assets to trade for other assets. So giving up one of your assets now signals you need to add some more upside in this draft. Garrett, what about you, man? What's the what's the preferred draft strategy in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning. It's not kind of what Matt said. It's not like Dana Brown specifically loves college guys more than Prep guys, you look at what he's done in the two normal drafts, so avoiding 20, or relatively normal drafts, so avoiding 2020. In 2019, he gave guys like Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, Joey Estes, Tyler Owens fairly big signing bonuses. This last year, he gave Tyler Collins a big signing bonus. He gave AJ Smith Shaver seven figures. I mean, this is a team that is willing to spend on high school talent, and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't necessarily spend early on high school talent if that opportunity presented itself. I don't – like Matt said, I don't necessarily think that there's a strategy that you know, prep versus college that works better. It's just about 
getting, I think, a variety of players that can fill different holes in the system. Recently, they've done a lot of college guys, and so they kind of have a system full of back-end starter-type pitchers, and they lack upside players, and they lack a lot of outfielders and middle infielders, especially you look and they have a lot of, they have a pretty big hole in terms of a guy that they are fairly confident is going to stick at shortstop and hit. They don't really have a guy there that they can feel confident in. And so it's a, it's a matter of filling in spots in the system and getting as much talent in. And recently for them, it has been those pitchers, but they want, the goal is going to be just getting the best talent and getting them filling out the lower minor leagues with a more, a better variety of talent and spreading out the money to get, they're going to want to get 10 or 12 legitimate prospects rather than take two or three at the top. And then just whatever happens for the rest of the draft happens. They want to get as many guys in as they can. And you look at a lot of those high school drafts with the case of Muller, Anderson and Wentz, that was what they did. They went under slot early and spread that money out. It's the same concept of a strategy, just, executed with prep guys instead of college guys and I think that they're gonna prob I mean I don't necessarily think they'll go under slot in the first round but you'll see them spread out the money to get a variety of high-end prep talent as well as high-end college talent yeah this is kind of a a weird question because I, I think that you can't evaluate these things in terms of like just high school guys or just college guys I'll say and I think Garrett and Matt would agree with me is that the Braves are remarkably good at drafting days two and three that, you know, guys that don't cost a ton of money, but finding I mean, like I mean, the guy that like that Matt was alluding to Matt, uh, Andrew Hoffman was a guy that was not expensive, was a day three pick. And he was, they were able to mold him into a legitimate, like you can call him a back of the rotations prospect and a good one at that. Um, and they were able to trade him for be a part of a trade for a real asset. Now drew waters and CJ Alexander, you know, you're, Opinions on what their value are will vary depending on who you talking to talk to. But for us, it just felt like the Andrew Hoffman was the guy that was the like the the most current value in that trade in terms of trajectory. I mean, Drew Waters, if he figures it out, will be the best player in that trade. Uh, I don't think that any of us think that C.J. Alexander is going to be the guy that ultimately you know makes that trade a steal for the Royals. But you know, Hoffman was a, a real piece, but there, but the, he was a guy that was a college guy that I don't think any of us would have called saying having a ton of upside. But as it turns out, he that existed, and I think it all comes down to just what the Braves board looks like and picking the best players available on that board um, for and and getting all, a lot of the guys that they like towards the top of their board. What what's happened? We feel like it's happened anyway in the first couple of rounds, the last couple of years, is that they they've been they've been firm on their board. Um, and that they've decided that you know the guys that they would really like maybe to go full slot or something like that they just weren't available to where the, where they were drafting and they would just end up picking guys that would be a little bit or you know like would be under slot have some real potential I mean I don't like Ryan Cusick has a triple digit fastball and there's that, that there's real upside to that pick there's real risk with that pick and it's kind of showing with his time over down with the Athletics now uh, and Jared Schuster is turning out to be quite the starting pitching prospect even if we have we all have our you know trepidations with you know whether or not that fastball is going to play in the major leagues that's turned into real value and they were able to get those types of guys while also bolstering their ability to get the guys that they can on days two and three that they both like and can sign for like not crazy amounts of money you know i mean like they've gone over slot but these aren't guys that were you know 
so crazy overslot that they drew a lot of headlines. And I think it's just because the Braves know what they like and they have scouts who can identify players that they can get some upside from. So I think the answer to your question is that I don't think it's a college guys or uh, high school guys. I'm tend to agree with Matt. Uh, Matt and I will disagree kind of on like how much uh, the upside should matter, but I do think that they have, they need to be focusing on impact, uh, impact arms and impact bats. I think that pitchability guys, that you're kind of asking for trouble in a lot of ways, but you know, or guys who like, you know, can maybe they might hit 280, 290, but they will hit like two or three home runs every single year. Um, you can, you can maybe take some flyers and some college guys like that. They took Dave, Caleb Durbin, who is, is a legitimate hitting prospect right now. Uh, and he's not a power bat by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, he hits for a bunch of contact and doing that late, late in the draft, that seems fine. But what they need to be doing is just going guys who have a chance of being impact. And I, I would particularly prioritize with the current state of the Braves farm system is prioritizing bats. That's what I would personally do. That may not work out early in this draft in terms of the, how the picks line up and who's available. The best guys on their boards may just be pitchers. But I do think that they need to make a really concerted effort in this draft to kind of get some guys who have some real upside at the plate, un- unless something weird happens where like a bat they really like or something, one of those prep bats we mentioned, like the prep shortstops and Jet Williams and and Cole Young or a guy like Justin Crawford, you have to go over slot and then you have to kind of start doing some pretty creative things with your bonus pool. But, you know, go after some upside. And, you know, there's a lot of ways they could do that. We've talked to kind of ad nauseum about the prep options in the first round, but I mean, like there's guys in like the second or third round, like a, like a Carson Milbrandt or, you know, like a, one of the Vandy commits, uh, the, one of the other Vandy commits that is maybe around in rounds two or three and you find yourself with some money, maybe you can prime away from that commitment. Uh, you know, maybe you look at a guy in, you know, the comp round, like a, like a Caden Wallace, for example, uh, is a bat that we, I think we all tend to like a, a good bit. Um, just guys like that, just finding guys who have a chance of being an impact bat, as opposed to just kind of guys that can like, they'll, they'll be like, they'll be good minor leaguers, but they, in the major leagues, they won't be able to impact things all that much. They need to find guys who can really impact the ball or, you know, impact games with their arms in positive ways. And there's a lot of ways this could go. Uh, and hopefully that's the, when we're talking about this, I, I, I'm fully expecting that we won't have the full picture after day one as to what the Braves are up to, unless again, it's kind of a big overslot signing and we kind of know, well, that's their draft class. But I, my, my suspicion is that there's going to be a little bit of a mix of both is that there's gonna be some really interesting guys that, that get picked on day one, but we won't have a full sense of kind of what the Braves are up to until we get done really with day two. Um, but before we get into the last three questions that I have, including what we think is going to happen in this draft, we're actually going to get our predictions firmly both on, on the site, which is going to be on an article that comes out, but also on the podcast. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to our work from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, fellas, it's time to talk more draft stuff, more draft coverage, kind of digging into what our thoughts in on on this draft. And again, we 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 actually this next question I kind of forgot that we were I had kind of grouped those two questions. So this is more of a 
kind of a, another question about college versus prep guys. But, Matt, I'm actually going to tee you up here coming out of the break. We, we've covered a lot of the options that the Braves are going to have available to them. Not all of them. There's certainly a lot of ways that could go uh, on day one, particularly in the first round. But let's talk a little bit about days two and three. Talk to me about, about some guys that you like, uh, whether it be prep guys that you, you might be able to do first slide over slot, college guys you've liked that could be interesting on day twos and threes, interesting senior signs, whoever you want to talk about to kind of give uh, our listeners a bit of a, like, you know, some names that could be interesting, especially if the Braves took them, take it away. So the first guy that I want to talk about is Austin Henry, the kid out, the pitcher out of South Dakota with the ridiculous breaking ball. I mean, you're talking about 3,200 RPM, which is basically a Carter Stewart-like break. I mean, it's cartoonish when you watch it. It is definitely a special pitch. He's definitely going to need a lot of work because he's got to fill in his body. He's also coming from cold weather, and it's also South Dakota, so you're not... He's also hurt, yeah. Yeah, you're also... I didn't even get that, but yeah, there's just so much about him that's a question, but when he is on you have the potential to have a potential top of the rotation guy if everything works out. So taking a guy like that in round two, round three, or whatever round it would take, he would definitely be a guy that would obviously excite the Braves. Another arm that would excite the Braves, I think, would be an LSU commit, Jacob Mizorowski, a kid with just a huge fastball and a swing and miss slider. Uh, He needs to add talent, so... Obviously, going after guys with those one to possibly two plus pitches is something that I really believe that they need to do. I'd put Reggie Crawford there. I think he's in play in day one, but he's he's a guy that has a very wide range because of his lack of actual resume and his injury. So you're talking about a guy that could be there on early on day three, maybe but I, I think he's more of a late day one to possibly day two pick. But a, a lefty without a lot of mileage on his arm that has thrown up to 100 miles an hour, how can you not get excited about that? Uh, Carson Milbrandt is another kid that I would love to get, a kid that is a Vanderbilt commitment. Uh, also, obviously, very expensive. But you've just got those multiple pitches there. He's actually got uh, four pitches that project as at least average and he should have who who's who's that i missed it oh carson milbrandt oh yeah 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 so four pitchers that should be at least average led by his fastball which would be his plus pitch the only one that you can say is a definite easily plus pitch in the future but he'll also have at least average control potentially so there's a lot to like with him obviously vanderbilt so you're gonna have to pay to get him out of that uh, there's some bats that I like as well. Uh, Jacob Reimer, Gavin Guidry, Paxton Kling are some of the prep bats. And then another Pennsylvania, former Pennsylvania kid uh, out of Virginia, uh, Chris Newell would be the one college bat that I really like. A uh, kid that was a possible second or third round pick out of high school decided he'd rather go to Virginia I got to watch him go up against uh, Jack Leiter in high school, uh, Leiter and Volpe's team, and he more than held his own when Leiter would actually pitch to him. Uh, Leiter did not really want to pitch to him that day. Uh, 
he was really the biggest threat in that lineup, along with Lonnie White, who was picked last year. Um, but the kid was a freshman All-American, uh, has not really hit nearly as well since then, so you question the hit tool. But this is a guy that has plenty of tools, and he's got a great baseball IQ, I guess would be the right word for what I like about him. And if you could just get him to make some adjustments, bring back what you saw in earlier doses, there's still the potential there that the guy that was initially a second, third round pick out of high school could really emerge as a potential difference making bat after I I hate to make this comparison because it's such a polarizing type of player, but I could see him being on the Nick Markakis type scale, solid fielder. Ooh. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's he's not going to be a star, but he, he does a lot of things well, has some power, has some potential to at least hit. He runs better than Markakis ever did, and he's got the potential to be a good glove in the outfield. So, even though it's a polarizing comparison and it's not direct one-to-one because I don't think the hit tool and the speed match up one on each different player's favor there, he would definitely be a guy that I'd like to take a chance on on day two, day three. You mentioned Gavin Guidry. Uh, I wanted to just kind of follow up with you. I mean, for Guidry, I assume that you like him as a shortstop better than the pitcher. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would definitely take him as a shortstop. I, I don't hate him as a pitcher. As a pitcher, he doesn't really excite me at this point to the same way that he does as a shortstop. I just think you're talking about every as as a hitter, obviously, every tool is average or better across the board. I don't think he has a plus tool, which is the main reason why he's not a first round name. But you're it, it's all 50-55 across the board on a guy like him. And the stuff that I've heard about him, makeup and tangibles, off the field stuff, I mean, this kid is just the kind of kid that you'd love to get into a system, whether it's the Braves or any other system. So you, you'd love a kid like that to play at a position that is relatively weak in the system. So he would definitely be high on my list. Yep, I appreciate you sharing those names. There's one name that I kind of I, I do want to mention because he is a well-known name, uh, although I think that people overestimate how – like good of a current prospect he is and that's ben joyce out of tennessee um i know that a lot of folks are they're aware that you know he's you know he has thrown the fastest you know fastball in college ever and all this other stuff and he's you know he is kind of a, a highlight reel in terms of you know what he can do on the mound but he is still a very raw sort of prospect uh the the command and the control is certainly an issue and you know there's not a lot of track record. He already has a Tommy John, and you know the 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 laws of physics are not particularly kind to the guys like Ben Joyce, who can throw you know well over 100 miles an hour with regularity and that kind of slider that gets that kind of movement. Uh, even as a reliever, I think that you're taking a bit of a risk if you're trying to take him early, like take him on day one. But on day two, he gets a lot more interesting to me. Uh, I think that if you're taking him solely as a reliever and you're going after that upside, and maybe you can get his command to be something that's relatively decent, like, that's a guy who's another who could be a late-inning option for you. And I don't know if that's something that's going to be necessarily what the Braves want to do, but again, on day two, 
you're, you're, what we've talked about is you're looking for that upside. And I think that in terms of overall upside, there's real, real risk with Ben Joyce. Don't, don't get me wrong. And that's why I think that it wouldn't be a smart idea to go day one with him. I do think, however, that going on, you know, going on day two and maybe you want to, you know, get a guy that has ultimately a lot of upside to him. And that is a name that could be interesting, uh, especially as you know, he's right there at Tennessee. I'm certain that the Braves have had, you know, scouts at Tennessee talking, looking at a lot of different guys uh, that that Tennessee team was loaded. Uh, they've got real outfield prospects on that team too. So that's, you know, there's a lot of things, teams, things on that team to already like. So I think that they'll get to have done their homework on Joyce. Ultimately a question as to whether or not they end up deciding to pull the trigger. And more importantly, I'm not sure exactly what Joyce is looking at from a, a bonus demand perspective, because again, he's kind of, uh, he is a celebrity, even though I think that it's not that that celebrity doesn't necessarily match up with his overall prospect status. Uh, you know, when he was starting to throw 104, 105 miles an hour, people were like wondering if he was going to go in the first round. Uh, but it just does not seem like that's going to happen. It seems much more likely that he's in that, you know, maybe you are spending full slot on round three or round four to get him. But if you choose to do that, then there's again, there's real upside with that sort of pick. All right. It's that time. We are now going to be getting on record. Garrett, I will start with you. Uh, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about here, uh, and then I'll throw it to Matt before I share my thoughts. What do you think – What do you first, what do you hope is going to happen with the 20th overall pick? And you can throw in thoughts on 35 as well. Um, and uh, what you hope is going to happen, and then what do you think is actually going to happen, if there is any difference between those two? I, what I hope happens is one of those prep guy slides to 20, and he picks them – the Braves pick him up, whoever that is, whether it's Porter, whether it's Crawford, Williams um, – Let's go. Any of those guys, if they slide to 20, would love to see it happen. As for what I – and at 35, I mentioned it before, um, Adam Mazur is my guy there. Uh, if he was healthy, I would consider him at 20. I really like the arm there the, and the overall talent there. That's like my ideal first – and that's my ideal first round in comp round. As for what I think will happen, I, I mean I honestly don't know. It's just there's so much weird stuff in this draft. I'm leaning – you know. More that we hear that Prelip's going to be in the top 20 and Horton's going to be in the top 20. And these guys are going to start, you know, these college arms are starting to move up in the draft. I'm starting to be more and more convinced that one of those prep guys is going to make it down to 20. Because for every guy that goes up into the top 20, somebody has to come out. And at some point, there could be a guy that slides there. I think that, you know, the issue with that is the Mets sitting there seem to be connected to prep guys, a lot of those prep guys, and they have two picks. And I think that's a lot of your issue there is having that team with two picks right there in front of you. It's kind of taking up a lot of real estate, unfortunately, but I, I'm hoping I'm hopeful for the prep guys. I'm not really expecting anything at this point. I would, I mean, I guess if I had to bet, I would bet on probably bet on a college pitcher in the first round, just because it seems like that's more likely to be what's available there. But I think if, there is a prep guy there. They are going to go that route. If there is a one of those high-end prep guys there, I think they're probably going to go that direction. Matt, what about you? What do you think is going to be happening? Well, I wrote about this for our preview, and it was completely blown up because what I was thinking was going to happen was Prelip is the pick. But I believe he's going to end up going to Detroit at this point, so he won't make it to 20. Um, what I'm hoping for is that one of these three players, all of them pitchers, is to pick. Uh, obviously, 1A and 1B 
would be Brock Porter, which will he even make it to 20 is the biggest question. And Dylan Lesko, which is same thing. Will he even make it to 20? If it's not one of them, I'd have to say Cade Horton would intrigue me the most. Uh, he seems like he would be a very good option, especially already having that 35th pick, because you're n- it's less of a risk when you basically have a second pick to back up that risk. So one of those guys would be ideal. And then at 35, I'd kind of like to get Reggie Crawford at an underslot deal. Uh, probably not the biggest underslot deal, but an underslot deal. Uh just take a big swing on upside and potentially get two very premium arms. What I expect to happen at this point is I'm really expecting the Braves are going to try to make a play at one of those two top prep arms, the 1A and 1B that I had, which are um, Porter and Lesko. I don't really think that that's what's going to happen. I, I kind of expect a college arm. I'm hoping that it's Horton, but I'm kind of expecting Hughes. But I also think something weird could happen that could change the entire draft board because everything just seems so random in front of the Braves right now for so many different teams that it's really hard to predict what's really going to happen. So I'll go with Hughes and I guess... Jacob Miller at uh, 35, who could actually even be in play at 20, but I don't think he would be the pick right now. I think there was a better chance of Miller at 20 before the trade on Monday. Yeah, this is a pretty tough question, this go-around, just because there's, and we've kind of harped on this a lot, there's a lot of things that can happen in front of the Braves that can... um, alter the landscape like we've talked about the prep guys that could that could fall to them but i mean for example i did a mock draft with the prospect lives guys and there is a split camp on a guy like jacob berry and whether or not he is a guy that should go in the top 10 i firmly believe he should because i think he's one of the best college bats in the draft but his his future defensive home is openly in question and maybe if that's something that really scares off teams i think that's the kind of high impact bat that the braves absolutely should be taking um, so, but like, and that's not, I don't think that's not my expectation. I think it's much more likely that, that Barry's gone by then, but those are the kinds of, you know, I think that the Braves need to be flexible and open what I would like to happen. And uh, the way I've tried to look about this question and think about this question, uh, as we've kind of been doing, or we're doing our round tables and, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, what my expectations are, or who do I think is realistically going to be there first? Uh, I, I like Brock, Brock Porter a lot. I think there's like no chance like actual no chance that he's there at 20. Uh, he's just too, it's just because he's too good. Uh, he, I think he's going to be the first high school arm off the board. And I think it's going to be within good for good reason. I think that he is just, you know, the, 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 the entirety of the stuff that guy has, you know, he probably should be in play in like firmly in the top 10. Uh, but I think it's more likely that a team's going to end up trying to throw a bunch of money at him and he's going to be gone by the time Braves pick. Uh, Justin Crawford. I, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on his bat uh, than Garrett is, but uh, I think it's not going to matter. I think that the overall package of athleticism that guy has uh, just kind of, you know, the lineage, the, just the physical tools, um, everything that we're hearing, it sounds like it's much more likely that he is just not going to be on the board at 20. I would certainly not be adverse to that pick, but that's not the one that I think is necessarily 
productive worth thinking about. So when I'm thinking about what I want to happen, I think about, you know, who's going to be there and who I like. And I think that of all the guys that we've looked at, I think the one that I like the most that has a chance of falling uh, and there's a kind of a, a narrative and an understanding as to why that would happen would be Jet Williams, the the shortstop slash outfielder out of uh, Texas, the prep outfielder. The one thing about him is that if you just looked, if you didn't look at his height and his body, that he would not be in the discussion at 20. The problem is, is that he's 5'8". And but all the the exit velocities are good. He can run. He's been hitting for power. He can really hit. Everyone seems to think he's going to be able to, you know, field and all that stuff. I of all the guys that I of the prep guys and Cole Young's in this group, too. I don't like Cole Young as much just because I, I wonder if that's going to be an impact bat. Uh, I, I do think he's a shortstop and I think he'll be a good one. But again, I'm just I worry that he's going to be a lot more hit over power. And you just wonder if that's going to be something that plays long term with a prep bat. If I'm if I'm if I'm making this play, I kind of want, again, more upside than that. I, I think that he's going to be a fine player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I wouldn't hate that pick either. If you if you pick make that pick, it's because the Braves see something in him. And you know, I th- I felt very similarly. And this comparisons were made elsewhere, not just by me. That you know, I I was not a big fan of Anthony Volpe as a pick. And as it turns out, that worked out pretty well for the Yankees because he ended up hitting for a bunch of power. But I don't think that Cole Young necessarily has that sort of frame or profile. And I think that kind of asking for that isn't something that I'm as on board with. But in Jets' case, there's all there's a track record of performance on the showcase circuit. He hits the ball hard. He can run all over the field, both in both offensively and defensively. He makes plays with his legs. He can absolutely hit, has a strong arm, takes extra bases. These are all things that I'm very, very interested in. So what an ideal world is that Jet Williams falls. It probably takes a little bit over a slot to sign him uh, because he's highly regarded and he's a prep bat. You know what I mean? He's And he's a uh, commitment to Mississippi State is no joke. Uh, it's not quite Vanderbilt, I don't think, but it's up there in terms of got, you know being able to sign guys away from those commitments. You're going to have to pay up real money to get them. Um, and then for the 35th overall pick, again, I, I am of the opinion that going after one of those Tommy John arms would be ideal. And I, again, I've already kind of stated that my favorite of those arms is Peyton Paulette. So kind of doing that that Jet Williams and Peyton Paulette one two I think is the what I would most prefer. Uh, I, I do think right now though. I have to I have to kind of concede that there's just been so much connection to college arms that I I think that the likelihood of what happens is that they're probably going to pick one of those college arms that they like and do a little bit under slot and then something interesting happens in the comp rounds. I think that that's in the comp round pick at 35th overall. And so like picking a guy like Hughes seems like it makes some sense there. And then in that comp round going after a hitter they like, and there's a bunch of options. We've already talked to those about those above, but I think that seems like the most likely. I do think that there's in what I do think will happen, regardless of how it works out in the players that are in play when the Braves are picking, I do think that they end up with one pitcher and one hitter by the time the comp round's over. I think that those first two picks is going to be one of each. So, well, Garrett, is there anything else you want to add before we let everyone go? No, I'm, I think we've uh, talked plenty today. <laughs> yeah, we definitely covered a lot of ground in this preview episode. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to all of it. If you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the road to Atlanta po- podcast, make sure you subscribe to the battery power podcast feed. 
All you have to do is certainly search on whatever your podcast platform of choice is, Google, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, whatever you get your, wherever you get your podcast from. If you search battery power, it is incredibly likely that we are on there. You subscribe to that, that feed. Not only do you get this podcast, you get to the, you get the flagship show hosted by the great Brad Roland and co-hosted sometimes by myself, sometimes by Scott Coleman, sometimes by guests. And then you also get the Daily Hammer, which is hosted by Sean Coleman, which is kind of your daily recap of what's going on in Braves in Braves country each night. You know what happened in the pr- previous night's game, and you also get the new and still unnamed show that is currently hosted by Stephen Tolbert and Chris Willis, our fearless leader, uh, where they kind of do deep dives into like big topics. You know, they don't necessarily cover a, a ton of you know the, the news of the day. They instead they go dig into the contract issues, performance. You know data analytics things like that it's been a great show great addition to the 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 feed and we really appreciate you guys supporting that show and all the shows on the podcast network thank you all so much you will be hearing from us soon again we're recording this on thursday we're going to be recording again on sunday recapping day one of the 2022 mlb draft hopefully we aren't mad possible that we're going to be happy but we'll see how it goes until next time we'll see you on the road Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.